I'm Mark Caro, and welcome to episode 81 of Caro Pop. Our guest this week plays guitar in a great rock band and has had a huge impact on the music world in another way. Lenny K. Every night before I rest my head See those dollar bills he was Patti Smith's original guitarist and sidekick, and still is, playing on her groundbreaking debut album, Horses, and much more. He has worked with other artists as well, co-producing Suzanne Vega's first two albums. But aside from all that, Lenny Kay assembled one of the greatest, most influential compilation albums of all time, Nuggets, original artifacts from the first psychedelic era, 1965-1968. The original Nuggets double album came out in 1972 when Kay was a rock critic and record store worker hired for the job by Electro Records founder Jack Holtzman. Kay dug into his own formidable record collection and pulled together a largely obscure group of psychedelic and garage rock songs that made a new kind of sense together. This was just four years after the most recent of these songs had been released. Nuggets include such guitar freakery as the Count Five's Psychotic Reaction and the Amboy Duke's Baby Please Don't Go, the pure pop of the Knickerbocker's Lies and the Crying Shame's Sugar and Spice, the gnarly driving rock of the Standell's Dirty Water, the Seeds' Pushing Too Hard, and the trippy Beach Boys-like psychedelia of Sagittarius's My World Fell Down. Rock critic Robert Criscow called Nuggets the most influential rock comp ever, and it's a fixture on Rolling Stone's lists of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Nuggets inspired countless bands, such as the Ramones, Television, and others that would perform its songs and reflect its sounds. It also spawned an industry of other Nuggets collections, as well as series such as Pebbles and Boulders. Perhaps most important, it turned me and many others onto a lot of cool music. 50 years and change after the first Nuggets, Lenny Kay is back with his own follow-up for Rhino Records, a 5LP Nuggets box released last weekend for Record Store Day. The new Nuggets set contains the original double album, a second double album, Volume 2, and a fifth record labeled also Duggets that features some especially under-the-radar tracks. Some of the box's songs are relatively familiar, such as Question Mark and Mysterians, 96 Tears, and The Music Explosion's A Little Bit of Soul. Others, such as the Monocle's The Spider and the Fly, may have you asking, what the hell is that? Kay answers that and many more questions as we dig into the Nuggets box and his own career as a musician. How is Nuggets different now when these songs have been around for decades and can be heard online versus when the songs were relatively new but you had to be a crate digger to find them? Why does Volume 2 kick off with their relatively ungaraged Do You Believe in Magic from The Love and Spoonful? What was the song that Kay had been trying for more than 50 years to get onto Nuggets? How did his own song, Crazy Like a Fox, recorded as Link Cromwell, wind up on the also Duggets record? Is the new Nuggets set related to the four CD Nuggets box set that Rhino released in 1998? Did Nuggets inspire Kay's own guitar playing? How did he come together with Patti Smith? What's the secret to their longevity as a team? Kay also spins Nuggets type records as a host on the satellite station Little Steven's Underground Garage. As you might imagine, I had a ton of fun going down the various rock and roll rabbit holes with him here. I bet you'll do the same in this Carol Pop conversation with Lenny Kay. Never 
you got me in trouble at home uh, last night uh, because I've been, you know, blasting this nugget, this new Nuggets box, and uh, I was playing a few days ago the record two, which ends on the monocles, the spider, and the fly, <laughs> and uh, and my wife hearing the help me, help me, you know, from the Vincent Price movie, she goes, she just comes in, and she goes, what the hell is that? But she didn't say yeah. hell. You did not say hell. And uh, and so then last night, she's she's an early morning radio person. She gets up at like four in the three forty five in the morning to do early morning radio. So oh I'm I was so I was just like, so there's always like some negotiation on like, you know, me playing records on the turntable. And I said, I said, Do I have time to put a side on? And she's like, Yeah. So I put on side uh four of the second, you know, Nuggets records and uh, the spider and the fly comes down and she, and she comes downstairs, give me this look like, how am I supposed to go to sleep with that on? And I'm like, well, you said I could put on an album side. And she's like, not that album side. Uh, well, I'm glad it can still be disruptive in your, uh, in your, uni you know, in your universe. That's so great. Crazy record. I always like to close out the volumes with the craziest record. I know uh, in volume one, it was, uh, it's a happening by the magic mushroom. And um, this one, Spider and the Fly, because, you know, we, we like the mania. Is that a song that you knew for a while? And did you have in your back pocket, like, all right, this is going to close the next one of these sets? Or, Well, I actually love the original, me and my friend Andy Paley, who uh, produced Brian Wilson and yeah, I remember. Tracy Soundtrack, a great Beach Boys fan. We found this record in the turn of the 70s by Bobby Christian and the Allen Sisters. Uh, called The Spider and the Fly. And it was kind of a takeoff on that movie, The Fly. You know, help me, what's happened to your head? And we loved it so much that we learned just about every inflection in it. You know, like how you say, caught in the web. <laughs> and then, uh, so all of a sudden, we discover this 60s version of the song uh, is even more mental. And, uh, you know, it became one of my favorites. It, it's kind of what I like to do with Nuggets is that it's not all obscure stuff. I mean, I'll leave that to the boulders and the pebbles and back, you know, those collectors who are really out there scouring for those 400 piece, uh, you know, garage rarities. I like to do known stuff, but I also like to throw in a, a few uh, wild cards because uh, that, that's what makes a great listening album. And uh you know, uh, it's it's such a privilege and honor to be able to gather what essentially are my favorite records into this right. box set that we're talking about half a century later. It's crazy. Well, it's really interesting because I was going to ask you about sort of the context of this. Like the original Nuggets came out in 1972. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these these songs weren't all that old then, yet it still was kind of you uncovering something that had that most people just didn't know because of the way, you know, culture was and radio was and distribution. Then it came out again in 76, which is only four years later. Yet the context was different then too, right? Totally. totally. And now you have these new bands who were drawing inspiration from it, you know, playing songs from it. Television would do fire engine and psychotic reaction. Uh, it, it seemed like it was time for a reevaluation. I have to say, uh, when, when I did the original album, it was kind of so recent that you hadn't even gotten a chance to have any historical perspective. I mean, I didn't even have any historical perspective. Uh, I was just gathering a bunch of kind of weird records that flew under the radar that 
that needed a, a different framing device, dirty water and the seeds. It seemed like an era had passed, but I really didn't understand how past it was, um, you know, and now, of course, with the hindsight of half a century, you know, in the uh, in the original album, I thought these were wildly different songs. Um, but now there seems to be a, a kind of uh, conception to them over the years that has been described as garage rock, even though, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, not getting too involved in definitions. Uh, my world fell down by Sagittarius is right. not garage rock, nor is the strange loves nighttime because they are three savvy New York record producers. But there was obviously some kind of weird sensibility to all these tracks together. And especially in Europe, where nobody had ever heard of the 13th floor elevators or probably the seeds or anything like that. So it, it really made a worldwide impact, um, much to my surprise. Yeah, it seems like pretty quickly, because again, 72 is not that far along from when you know some of the stuff came out. You identified a genre that wasn't recognized as a genre. And now from 2023, when you have this box coming out, it's like, it's a genre. And in fact, there have been all these other nuggets boxes that have come out in between, yeah. you know, the seventies and now, and there's sort of a, sort of an understanding that, that it all kind of fits under this umbrella, even though, as you said, you have like these beach boy ornate productions on one side, and then you have these kind of up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have these sort of guitar freakouts like, you know, the Amboy Dukes, and then you still have your, you know, punchy sort of R&B kind of stuff as well. Like I said, definition to me is made to be broken. I always remember the phrase that I found on the back of uh, a Mayo and the Red Crayola album in 1967. It says definitions define limit. And I like when things blur. I think this whole period was people really hadn't figured out what's happening. It hadn't been hardened into certain definitions. So you felt kind of free to explore at will. And, you know, don't forget rock and roll generations move quickly. If you have five years of, of, of any genre, you've, it's kind of the first year or two, it's kind of like a planet forming out of cosmic dust of all these strange influences. And then by the end of it, it's acquired a name and a stereotype and a definition. And then that's when it's time to change the channel again. Uh, I, I really like, especially in a music's adolescence, I mean, rock and roll was probably just entering its teen years uh, when, when Nuggets started figuring out that these were nuggets and you know like an adolescent you're a lot different at 13 than you are when you're 19 or 25 and you know it kind of flashes forward uh the punk rock era in the 70s you know if you say it started around 74 75 somewhere in there by 1980 it was new wave and it was synth pop and i i, I like this kind of movement i'm i'm not one to think oh well music was better then or whatever it's like i, I like rapid fire change because essentially you're creating the soundtrack of the future 
And back then, music was changing so quickly. So, oh like, the difference gosh. between 64 and 69 for, like, one five-year period is, like, totally different in a way that you would be harder to say, you know, 2010 to 2015 was, you know, it's like, it's become this. It's well, we don't even know now because way. we don't have that that sensibility. I think, you know, maybe we're in a great era of what used to be called girl groups, but, you know, these incredible pop confections, uh, you know, put together. Um, I, I have to say that, though, it's it's really interesting. And I based my whole book, uh, Lightning Striking, 10 Transformative Moments in Rock and Roll, as, <laughs> you know, to kind of chart this way through the grassroots scenes that, that sprung up kind of uh, unconsciously, you know, from Memphis in 54 to... Uh, you know, Liverpool in 62 and San Francisco, 67, Detroit, 69, you know, there's 10 of them where the music didn't change gradually. All of a sudden, you know, all the way to Seattle in 1991, it all had a kind of name, you know, rockabilly or, you know, Brit, Brit invasion or psychedelic or grunge, you know, but you, you could really chart the movement of the music in kind of, you know, five year, five year lumps until in some ways. And I do feel this and I'm not sad about it. Uh, rock and roll has explored all its permutations. Um, and so it becomes a music less of innovation than um, interpretation, I would guess, like the blues or like, you know, bebop jazz or any genres that figure themselves out that doesn't mean that there's not going to be great rockers or great blues players and stuff but certainly the parameters of definition have gotten to the point where things are figured out and so it's time to move forward and i you know i, I like forward motion myself as i said when you were growing up were you buying singles left and right i mean when you made the nuggets were these like things that you had in this vast collection you had at home yeah absolutely i went you know because i really when jack holzman gave me the project um and said he'd like you know to gather these uh kind of great songs that might have been under the radar or kind of needed recontextualization I don't, you know, I just mostly went to my record collection, the songs that I liked and, uh, and, uh, you know, found other ones that, that seemed similar, um, you know, but I have all those singles that I put on the nuggets thing. Some of them have a little LK on it. <laughs> so if nice. I take them to a party, someone can't, you know, filter them, but, uh, you know, they were my favorite songs. I never really thought, and it's probably a good thing, A, that the record was going to come out, because I only worked for Electra as an independent talent scout for about four to six months. Uh, they didn't like anything I brought them. I tried to get them to keep the Stooges, to put out uh, the Stalk Forest album, the group that would become Blue, Blue Oyster Cult, that, you know, they didn't really like. But I had this, this project, and months after... I, I left Electra and they had the list. They called me up and they said, we have the rights to all these songs. What do we do with them? And I thought, whoa, project's still alive. But, you know, in some ways it was just kind of, 
a lark for me. I, I, you know, if I would have thought that I would be discussing it half a century in the future, I would have, you know, been frozen with responsibility. But I was just having a good time. Yeah, let's put that wacky record on. You know, oh, yeah. You know, here's a record I heard driving across country. Michael and the Messengers, just like Romeo and Juliet. Well, let's put them on. We love the blues project, you know, the seeds. But And there were things I didn't put on because my brief was to kind of look for the undiscovered. So, you know, I didn't put Gloria, the national anthem of garage rock on it because I chose the long album cut that appealed to me. Oh, yeah. By the shadows. Right. right. Um, same thing with um, the blues magoos. You know, I, I we ain't got nothing yet was their hit, but I chose their wacky version of Tobacco Road. And, you know, it's, you know, slightly self-indulgent, but I guess uh, it communicates because in the end, I wanted to make a record that was really listenable. I mean, I'll, I'll go to any number of record fairs. I still do. And, uh, I, you know, I'm a m member of Record Collectors Anonymous. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, uh, you know, people come up to me all the time and say, man, this is a great garage record. You got to hear it. And I'll listen to it and I'll say, yeah, it's a great garage record. But what I believe the staying power of Nuggets has been is that they're great records beyond genre. And right. that to me is important. I, you know, you can go and pick out, say, 25 great reggae songs from the from the mid-70s, one of my personal loves. And, uh, you know, they're not great reggae songs. They're great songs. And that to me is what I wanted to do with volume one is to kind of make a great listening record. I, you, know, you probably call it a playlist now. Uh, and volume two, the same way. There's some obscurities and there's some songs that need redefinition, like the album starts off with uh, Do You Believe in Magic by The Spoonful. Very popular song. We all right. know it. Not psychedelic. Not psychedelic, but... At the end of volume one, I, in the liner notes, I said, you know, write to us at uh, Electra and let us know whether the magic's in the music or the music's in you or something like that. And so I thought it would be nice to lead off volume two with it. But on the other hand, it helps to remember that the Love and Spoonful were a garage band. They played the Night Owl Cafe alongside the Blues Magoos and the Magicians and, you know, all those bands that centered around this kind of downtown New York uh, art scene, you know, art garage, Lothar and the Hand People. So it's nice to kind of look at these things in a different light. And it's a great song also. Right. And then you and end it with the monocle spider in the face. <laughs> Help me! Help me! No, and you, and you have 96 tears on there too, which is Finally. You know, like aesthetically like the like a defining song for that you know if you would call it a genre but it, but this is the first one you've actually had it on right well it's i've tried i tried for the original and uh we couldn't get the licensing uh rhino tried for the 25th anniversary uh box set the four cd box set which all praise to gary stewart he he did it as if the my collection would have continued on and uh, we couldn't get the rights in 98. And finally, there it is, the Ur text of Garage Rock. 
in the place where it's meant to be. And, uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very, very excited about that. Right. You know, second song side two of, uh, you know, Nuggets 2. Were you doing a Nuggets 2 double album? Like, was was there a plan to follow it up that just never happened earlier? Well, that's, I mean, that's why I can do a volume two as I imagined it now, because Electra did pick up an option to do a volume two. Uh, Unfortunately, at that time, three changes happened in the company. One, the lawyer who kind of got all the licensing for volume one, a guy named Michael Cap, who was the son of Mickey Cap, who had Cap Records, really was dogged. This was before companies like Rhino had in a division devoted to licensing. It was kind of a rogue field and he would call up, you know, this person or that person and they say, oh, you want to license, you know, the electric prunes. Well, how about a new album by the electric prunes? We can, tra-, you know, he, he, you know, he had a kind of duck and dodge and really put this album together. Anyway, he was promoted to a different division. Also, Jack Holzman sold the company and Jack was the person who understood Nuggets, who gave me the scepter to to do a volume two. And when he left, there was nobody to talk to. Um, And so basically, uh, you know, I had a wish list of about 40, 50 songs, uh, some of which were left over from volume one. Some I discovered when volume two came out, people would send me um, you know, suggestions. Um, that's how, uh, uh, blackout of Greetly by the gone are on there. And, uh, Joe Daco's, uh, mystic tide, you know, these people say, how about this one? How about this one? And so I had a list, but unfortunately, uh, whatever, whoever they assigned to get the licensing to, um, just never got it together. And so it became one of those projects, which, was unfulfilled. I mean, I, I, you know, the original Nuggets didn't sell hardly anything except to, you know, rock, rock, rock writers who liked it and uh, those who would take inspiration for it. Uh, so there was no uh, impetus at Electra, you know, to, to do another one that wouldn't sell. Um, of course, then Sire put out this great uh, reissue, which was so influential in getting the word out. And then, you know, I mean, I, I went to Europe with Patti Smith for the first time in spring of 1975. And we're at a, a press conference in Copenhagen. I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm playing guitar and I'm in Copenhagen. I can't believe it. And we have a press conference and someone raises their hand and says, uh, when is the next Nuggets coming out? And I thought, you've heard of nuggets in Denmark? That's crazy. So it's becoming, you know, it kind of spread its word to the point now where wherever we go play, uh, I'll be in a local bar and somebody will come up and, you know, present me with a free beer, my royalty (laughs) for doing the original nuggets and saying how it changed their life. And I have to say, yeah, and it changed my life, too. And that's a that's a beautiful thing, because, you know, really, in the end, what I was doing in the first Nuggets is telling my tale of how I was so 
inspired by the music I heard that I wanted to be in a band and I wanted to, you know, my band never made a record, the zoo. But on the other hand, we played those songs at various college mixers and clubs and, you know, and it just kept on going and going and going. And, uh, you know, here we are half century later. I always think that a half century back from 1972, when the original right. album came out, you know, we're talking Al Jolson, we're talking Mamie Smith, we're talking about a music so far in the past. So the fact that Nuggets is remembered half a century into the future from its inception is truly, truly a, a beautiful thing. And I feel so honored and blessed and all the above that I, I'm, you know, that I, I get to participate in it, that Rhino has given it such a beautiful, beautiful package. And that, you know, there's going to be some nugget shows where I'm going to get up and sing nighttime and, and oh, push nice. it too hard and, uh, and do my version of Gloria. <laughs> yeah. And have everybody sing along. What was the first single you ever bought? <laughs> I bought four. Uh, I, I was given uh, a, a phonograph record player in the shape of a conga drum for my, like, I don't know, 11th birthday or something like that. And I lived in Brooklyn at a time and I went to the local record shop on Flatbush Avenue and I bought four singles. I bought uh, It's All in the Game by Tommy Edwards, uh, Purple People Eater by Sheb Woolley, uh, It's Only Make Believe by Conway Twitty, uh, which Seymour Stein actually pointed out. They're all on the MGM label. I thought it was interesting. Mm. And... Um, uh, the wrong version of To Know Him Is To Love Him uh, was, I didn't know from who it was. It was Kathy Carr, a very nice version. But I always think that's kind of what I'm into. You know, you got the novelty, Purple People Eater, and the romance. I like novelty and I like romance. So those were the first four records I got. Ugh, my gateway drug, one might say. <laughs> At what point did you say, okay, I need to start playing guitar and be one of those people on one of those stages? Oh, that's a nice question. Um, I didn't think I was going to be on a stage personally. Uh, if I would have thought I would be a professional musician, member of local 802 AFM, you know, all these years later, I would have learned to read music, but I certainly didn't. Um, I, uh, I initially, I guess this is around... Phew, 62 or so, uh, I got attracted to folk music as most everybody is through the uh, Peter, Paul and Mary thing. I truly wanted to be Eric Anderson, uh, of course, Bob Dylan. And so I started learning uh, my first chords from a sing out songbook that I bought in Greenwich Village. Uh, my first song since we're going on the time travel was uh, Gotta Travel On by Billy Graham, you know, on late around and right around. Oh, it's time for chord change. Let me place my tongue in the corner of my mouth and spend four minutes trying to make the next chord. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to be essentially one of those lonely folk singers in the backyard. This is the summer of 63. <clears throat> but just about as I'm starting to figure out my chords, uh, that, you know, incredible moment in February 64 when the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan show changed what was possible for an aspiring musician. Um, 
It's a cliche, but it was such a touchstone for so many people. Yeah, I mean, you know, before that, the kind of comparative musical aspiration was the corner doo-wop group, of which I hope to be able to sing falsetto, even though I've lost pretty much the top end of my voice now. You know, but there weren't really no rockabilly bands growing up in the Northeast. You know, I didn't even hardly know from blues. You know, I mostly listened to Top 40 radio and couldn't figure out what it was. But all of a sudden you had a template of a band. And so that was February. By the summer of that year, I'm learning my first bar chords. I bought an electric guitar. I wish I still had it, a Les Paul standard that I bought from some kid down the street who had given up the calling. Nice. By November of 64, I played my first gig at the uh, Alpha Sigma Phi uh, fraternity at Rutgers. I was where I was going to school. And, you know, we had a band called uh, The Vandals, bringing down the house with your kind of music. <laughs> and I remember we wanted to be the first of the local bands to get a song off the radio to play for uh, the Drunken Brothers. And so we chose You Really Got Me by The Kinks just come on the radio great song and uh, i always treasure that moment years later uh might be 45 or 50 years later when i was playing a, a benefit concert for tibet house at carnegie hall and i was in the house band and ray davies was one of the performers and uh we did you really got me and I got to play the solo. It was just like wow. a circle fulfilled. So, yeah, it's a cliche. You're right. But it's a formative moment where you looked at. Yeah. Cliche is not even the right word. It's just sort of, it's just like, it's just sort of amazing to that. There's so Everybody, many people who I've talked to and just, I mean, just, you know, I mean, for me who wasn't quite born then, I still look at that like, wow, you know, cause it's just, it's just like it, what you said about how it changed what everyone's expectations of what you could be is like something you just don't even think about now because everyone thinks, oh yeah, there are rock stars and you know, there was Elvis Presley, but this was different. And Elvis appearing on that cell, uh, on, you know, the, the, uh, the television shows was also one of those cataclysmic moments. I mean, and, and these do characterize rock and roll. You got to say that, uh, you know, luckily when Patty's horses came out, you know, I could see that firsthand. I could see this, this transformative moment from a small, you know, out of the way Bowery bar in New York City suddenly sees the world's imagination. And that that sudden change is really, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't happen gradually. Sometimes you need a spark. You need to light the fire. You know, for, for me and a lot of people, it gave us a sense of of what was possible. And to me, that is the secret of Nuggets, that all these bands suddenly realized that it was possible for them to become who they imagined themselves to be, that desire fulfilled. Uh, and I can only say that, yeah, that, that, that was me at the time. I didn't know. I was, you know, some crazy kid who wished he was a beatnik and, uh, you know, wasn't that great in school. And you know, was a science fiction fan and, you know, was just kind of like a weird mutant from New Jersey. But when I got the guitar in my hand and turned it up and felt that power of the first chord and, and you know, started playing in a band that 
people dance to. It, it was it was a great empowerment. And I think at the at the real root of Nugget's appeal, and I don't think it's just garage rock because, you know, there's some, you know, somebody in a garage with turntables and and digital technology who's also discovering this. This is an ongoing right. thing. Um, you know, it, I, I don't think garage rock is special. I'm I don't think music was better then. Music is, you know, and and I and I, I always look for the key to get into music. I have my favorite, you know, pop songs that I hear randomly on the radio. And maybe somebody out there is hearing them and figuring out how to put the pieces together of the future. And that to me is what Nuggets is about. They're kind of figuring things out. It's hasn't become psychedelic rock yet it hasn't become those long modal guitar solos they're still like putting a bunch of stuff together and not even sure what's going to come out the other end but they're excited about the possibility and uh hooks are still important that's like one of the defining things i think it's there like so there's a pop sensibility of like we got to have a hook we got to have a chorus or something like that something that's going to stick in your head well, you know, the, the truism is that no matter how much styles of music change, and yeah, we've seen radical changes in style over the past century, not to mention the last 10 years, songs are about the same thing. I'd like to be loved. Why am I not loved? Who am I? I'm pissed off at the world. I'm happy. You know, all of these basic building blocks, and then you look for the ways to assemble them, to arrange them, to to make use of the instruments at hand. I mean, rock and roll grew up with the possibilities of the electric guitar. And, you know, again, I do think that everything that can possibly be played on the electric guitar has been tried twice. That doesn't mean that it's obsolete because, hey, you pick up a guitar, you can learn those three chords in 10 minutes, and then you can spend a lifetime figuring out all the ways in which you can express yourself. Um, I'm very grateful for the electric guitar, and I know that it's kind of an entry-level instrument to whatever you would like to do. But on the other hand, you know, there's so many new tools on, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed at what digital technology can do now, because I remember the days when, you know, if you have to edit a piano part, the engineer would tell you to go out and have lunch and come back in three hours. Now you can, oh, yeah, want to flip it over sideways, you know, change the key there. It, it's the way records are made. That does that doesn't mean that they're better or worse than Robert Johnson, you know, singing into a, a horn in the corner of a San Antonio hotel room. It's got to have the emotions, got to have the the feeling, you know. But on the other hand, there's there's a million ways to make music, and uh, I'm just happy to explore at least ten or twelve of them. <laughs> When 
you met Patty Smith, my understanding is that you were working at Village Oldies uh, record store on Bleecker Street, and you were also writing a lot about music and rock criticism right. and, and everything else. What was the, and, and she was a writer too, obviously. Um, what was the, how did it go from, you know, two writers, you know, having these common bonds to, I'm going to be your guitarist in this fantastic band that's going to change music forever? <laughs> well, there was no, there was no uh, agenda, really. I mean, when Patty asked me to play with her at St. Mark's in February of 71, I had just met her. Uh, she read an article I wrote in Jazz and Pop uh, called The Best of Acapella about this really weird little niche uh, thing that happened in the tri-state area where in the kind of sunset of what would be doo-wop music, these kids would just sing a cappella with no musical accompaniment and mostly mostly disseminated by record stores, oldies stores, which of course meant <laughs> something is past. Um, I, I wrote you know, an article about it and my feelings and Patty read it and it reminded her of the music that she grew up listening to in South Jersey. I was from New Brunswick, New Jersey, Central Jersey, a big, not that much of a difference. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, so she would come into the record store where I worked and uh, I'd spin some of our favorite records, My Hero by the Blue Notes, uh, Today's the Day, Maureen Gray, uh, um, the Bristol Stomp, you know, drink a couple beers, we do the Bristol Stomp, we got friendly. And then when she was going to do uh, a poetry reading, she said, I heard you play a little guitar. I said, well, very little. She said, well, you know, can you do a car crash on guitar? Well, I loved free jazz, so I thought, man, I, I know how to do that. I, I probably can't play a Chuck Berry lick, but I know how to crash that car. And so we did this uh, little poetry reading uh, in St. Mark's Church in February 71. There was no idea that this was even something that was going to go beyond that night. We didn't say, hey, that was great. We got a good reception. Let's have a band. We never really said that because where we started was so <laughs> off the point you know, you know, we had a, a poet who kind of was learning to sing. We had a keyboard player and we didn't do it again until the end of 73. This is like almost three years. Uh, and even then, you know, we didn't quite know what we were doing. We kind of developed this. It's almost like a cabaret act. Um, but obviously we were aiming toward becoming a rock band, but the best thing about how we grew is that we didn't rush it because by the time we got a real drummer, J.D. Darity, and were the an official rock band, which was by then it was spring of 1975, um, we sounded like ourselves. We didn't sound like some, oh, let's be a rock band. You know, it's like, we, we, and I, and I think that's what, allowed us so much creative freedom that by the time we got there, we had set aside something that we could, you know, have a field of noise and exploration like Radio Ethiopia, or we could have a great pop song. And in between all of that is what, you know, what, what we have attempted over 
again, you know, almost half a century. Um, it's it's truly amazing. I mean, of course, couldn't do it without Patty, who is a totally unique and charismatic and totally, totally committed artist. Um, we've we've you know we we've managed to maintain our creativity in spite of <laughs> the strictures of the music business. You know, it, I mean. I'm very proud of who we are and who we've become and the ideals which we've we've supported and understood artistically. Um, it's it's a great blessing. And well, and, uh, we're still yeah. playing. <laughs> no, and you saw. I mean, I, I saw some, some amazing shows from you guys at the Riviera. One of them was, I think, on her 70th birthday. But there, there, there are some before, and maybe one after too, and I mean, some other ones too. Maybe one at Metro as well. Um, but it's it, it's just this, you know, this experience that. Yeah, it's one thing to listen to a live record or something, but to to be in the presence of of her and you and that band, it's like this kind of immersive experience where you're like wow you know I've, I've entered into this other world and I, you come out feeling much better about everything so well you know she cool. she's a remarkable and righteous performer who who speaks the truth i've been standing next to her for well all these many years i've never seen her sing a false note i've never seen her what do they say dial it in i've never seen her on autopilot you know, she tries to make each night special for the audience. And, uh, you know, I respect that. And she makes me up my game. You know, if I'm like lagging or, you know, playing the same solo over and over again till it's too predictable, she'll, she'll get on me and make sure that I step out on the edge. And, uh, you know, I feel just privileged that, our, our collaboration and our brother and sisterhood have have sustained themselves along these these many years. I mean, some of it has to do with the fact that I'm a writer as well. You know, we, when we're on the road, we have writing days. I'm working on something. She's working mm. on something. We'll we'll just get in a room together on in either, you know, so desks and we'll just like, you know, work on stuff because I do believe there is rhythm and melody in a great sentence as well as a narrative arc say in a guitar solo and the fact that we understand both of those elements of making of art she has the third one of course which is the visual which i don't particularly have um i, I you know I'm, I'm more ear and uh <laughs> and uh word oriented but you know it's 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 just great because we believe in the music that inspired us to begin with the feelings that it it made us feel essentially and you know we didn't set out in this to get rich you know and we haven't but you know or to deal with a, a, a live situation that is more spectacle than the music. I mean, if you've seen us, you know that, you know, we don't have that many bells and whistles. We have some lights that flash on and off. And, um, you know, unless, uh, you know, Patty's pants rip, we got no custom changes. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. And we are a band and we play live and 
and and we try to gauge the temper of the moment and ride with that and try to also have something in each show which is unique to that show were there guitarists who you were in in some way trying to emulate or records in your mind like maybe some of those old 45s and stuff that showed up on nuggets where that were particularly influential to you as you were discovering your own voice as a you know musician I mean, so, so, so many, you know, I mean, uh, again, you know, I grew up in this garage rock age. So obviously, you know, hearing the seeds or hearing the shadows of night were, were very influential, but, you know, I, I listen to everything. I mean, especially in that, you know, in the sixties, as it became the seventies, rock and rolls Renaissance. I mean, you had figures in that era and I'm not, I'm not uh, comparing other eras, but, you know, when you had a Jimi Hendrix or Beatles, I mean, the Beatles, you listen to Beatles, they, they are not genre specific. They're not like garage rock. They're like all over the place. Uh, you know, you, you got a sense of expanse. Um, as for guitar players, you know, I, I like I said, I'm I'm not virtuoso by any means i play guitar like i play um i am not i couldn't be a session musician or have that kind of facility but i always loved i mean jimmy of course you know i love jeff beck uh, I, I my personal favorite john cipollina of the quicksilver messenger service mm. um i was very influenced by the grateful dead I, their their sense of improvise improvisation, uh, moving from song into these soundscapes and back again, that really uh, changed the way I I viewed how music could be made. I love free jazz and I love when music kind of loosens itself from the strictures of rhythm and melody and becomes sound interacting with sound. That's that's a kind of a goal of mine to get things, as Sun Ra used to say, out there. Right. Um, I love the human voice. Um, you know, again, my first love was doo-wop music. So to hear voices in harmony and singing and, and deep within a, a song, that's always a beautiful thing. And I like mayhem. I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a metal fan. Uh, I, I love what the Stooges and the MC5 and the Velvets did toward making music that was on the edge and and revelatory um you know i i i i'm i'm a product of all these things that flow into me i love dancing uh so uh you know great r&b or or even disco i mean i bought a couple of years ago four crates of 2000 era obscured 12 inches and mm. i've been going through them over the years some of it's very generic and some of it are those great tracks that you look for in any genre and maybe someday i'll really confuse all the people who know me and i'll do a dj night in some club and play all this techno i mean i just love music uh, i i was uh an astrologer once read my chart and she said you are a friend to music and i i kind of appreciate sure. that I really, I, I like that, uh, the, you know, I get up in each morning and what am I going to listen to and what, what rabbit hole am I going down, you know, today? And 
oh, look, here's a, here's a wacky uh, artist. Well, I'll just see what else they've done and, and see where my inner algorithm takes me. And, uh, you know, then I get a chance to play it. We're in an interesting time now because on one hand, it seems like there are these, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it, silos of like different sort of genres that are, you know, like people are sort of defining things and like, you know, so you could find this station that plays this or that. But then at the same time, you also have almost every song that's been recorded is accessible to you in a way that like when you were going to Europe uh, after Nuggets came out and those people are like, I've never heard this before. Right. Maybe people still haven't heard it before, but maybe they're hearing some of these songs on, you know, little Stevens underground garage, which has the word garage in it. And you're an excellent host on there, DJ. And then, but you just can, you know, or just, it's like Spotify or YouTube or Apple music or, or whatever else, like you, everything's accessible now in a way it wasn't before. Does that change music appreciation? Do you think? I I think sometimes you got to work for it. I mean, I, I am a record collector, so I like to go into a random record store and find something weird and, you know, have my uh, theme of the day. Uh, when everything's sometimes there's too much choice. I mean, I have to say, I look at the wall of records that I have uh, upstairs and when I go to play a record, I usually play the last record I bought somewhere. You know, it's like, ah. I'm not going to pull it. Maybe I'll listen to that 10 years after record. You know, I just don't, you know, but if it comes on the radio as it did last night, uh, um, you know, I thought, man, 10 years after I were, I had time to pull out undead. Um, I don't know. It's every, when everything's available, nothing's available. And then you have to kind of, it's so random these days. I mean, people always ask me, what are your favorite artists? Well, you know, I have a couple of ones that have found me. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'll hear them on the radio, like WFMU plays a bunch of wacky stuff. And I'll uh, I'll try to count backwards when they start <laughs> telling you what you play. You know, is that the fifth song or is that the sixth? Um, you know, but there seems to be... It's like there's all possibilities, and then in the end, there's no possibilities. Um, I think you have to make your way. I, I miss the challenge of having a record and trying to find it. On the other hand, if I want to hear it, I can go on to YouTube immediately and hear it, and then they can coast me through other things, and maybe you find other things. Right. You could go onto Discogs and punch it in or go onto eBay and punch. I still get a great joy out of too much because I end up spending too much money, but going into <laughs> record stores and flipping through the bins, like there's something about that, which I didn't get when I was flipping through CD bins. I sort of lost my love of record stores and then regained it when, you know, I you know was sort of going back to buying more vinyl again. Well, you know, vinyl is really easy to flip. I mean, there's nothing like putting a, a bunch of uh, 45s on your thumb and, you know, I, that's my favorite storage medium, as they call it. But yeah. I have to say, you know, the CD revival is near, you know, start like looking at them because, again, everything is cyclical. And, uh, you know, there is something to be said for putting on that flat aluminum disc that probably doesn't sound as good as your vinyl. But then again, are you really 
listening to it that closely? Are you putting it on in the house while you're like, uh, you know, doing your chores or, you know, music comes to you lots of different ways. I mean, on Sirius, it's all MP3s. <laughs> you know, I, I said to them, I said, you know, well, I, I have some things I'd like to upload to you, uh, but the best I can do is MP3. They said, oh, that's, you know, everything. And when I'm listening in the car and grooving along and my favorite song comes on, I, I'm not saying, I don't know, is the bass warm enough? <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, is that a digital signal coming through my car speaker? Yeah, exactly. You know, which is, of course, and of course, now they have all these remastered albums that are essentially remastered from digital. So what's the point? I, I, I I'm not that deeply into sound. I love to feel the album. I love to read it. Um, I like to feel the platter. I, you know, I like I like to turn it up on the old Morantz. But um to be honest, uh, however you hear music, you can hear music through a scratchy 78 um, that will move you totally. And, you know, when I listen to Robert Johnson, I don't have him on 78, of course, because I can't afford that. But, uh, you know, there's something to be hearing it as in the medium that it was intended. Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my joke was always... Uh, Ah, recorded sound, it's gone downhill since the cylinder. But then I found that that's true, because in a flat disc, as you get toward the run-out groove, you get different kind of distortion coming into it, where a cylinder has no run-out groove. Yeah, I was talking, I've, I've talked to some mastering engineers on here, and they've said, yeah, if you have a really great song, put it early on the side. Don't make it the last song on the side. I mean, you know, right, tell yeah. that to, to Day in the Life, but... But in the end... Yeah, it's all about the song and the music. And if I'm I'm driving down the highway and that wacky song by Gail comes on uh, A B C D E F U, I'll like roll down my windows, go yeah, and your dog too, and you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll you know, I, I just you know, however it gets to you, if it gets you, I mean, you know, most of my forty fives are just such a wreck. Um, from constant playing, but, you know, I put them on and, you know, there's dirty water as I heard it back then and we'll always hear it. And so you'll, uh, you'll sit around at home, still putting on 45s. You'll say, okay, I'm going to pull this one. Oh, out. I, I'm always, I'm all about, I got to get them in order. I have, this is a problem, but you know, I have boxes, you know, like those little plastic crates and, you know, there's my reggae 45s and, you know, I'll smoke a bone and I'll sit there and throw on Max Romeo or, or the Ethiopians or some of my favorites. And some of them are on, on, on pressings that are just like, you know, that they were made in a, you know, in a studio, or, you know, in a pressing plant that was just about as rogue as can be. But they sound great, you know, especially when you turn it up past six. Like, Whoa. <laughs> now, did you get involved in the mastering and sourcing of these nuggets songs and records no uh for for the box set a guy named bill inglot who is really much right. more attentive to uh to frequency response than me i'm i'm pretty technologically uh you know primitive i have to say but he sourced out a lot as a matter of fact uh, at one point um i was debating whether to put 
my own song, Crazy Like a Fox by Lynn Cromwell that I did in 1966, courtesy of my uncle, um, on the box set just for fun. And uh, I said, I don't know, you think it's like a little too, you know, self. <laughs> and, and he said, come on, I just got the original master tape from, you know, wherever he sourced it from. I said, oh, okay. So, you know, he's really into uh, getting the best sound possible. Um, you know, but again, you know, we're talking the vagaries of anybody's um, homes, you know, any system. I remember when I was a working record producer, I would, <laughs> I would go into the studio, spend hours mixing something, take it home, want to shoot myself. And then after a while, you know, like a month or two, I realized, oh, it just sounds like the record. Because if that kid in Kansas plays your record and says, I don't know, the bass frequency response is a little light in the uh, 6K, so I'm going to buy, you know, a Nielsen record. I don't know. You know, I don't think, especially these days with those crappy earbuds, I don't really believe that people are into fidelity as much as some cognoscenti are. I mean, I like to hear my records, you know, with some warmth or whatever. But on the other hand, if it's a great record in the, in the within two minutes, I'm just hearing it as it's coming out. Right. Really, you know, it's really hard to mix because you don't know who's, you know, what the speaker system is. I got like three or four different setups here and I'll play one record and they'll sound when I'm listening hard to sound remarkably different. And yet, if I'm not listening hard, they sound like the song. So I'm, you know, yeah, there's like the split where you have all these people who are listening in their AirPods, and then you have these people who are, you know, posting their fantastic systems and everything is AAA and tubes. And, and you know, there will be pages and pages on like Steve Hoffman's, you know, music. Yeah, exactly. Forum. Yeah. They're, they're going to go on about like the, the sound quality and sourcing of every single Record Store Day release. And that's sort of that too. And, you know, and then whether you actually go in for all that, or you're like, ah, it sounds really good to me. And these are, you know, the, and this is garage rock, you know, so it's exactly. stuff that was cut. It was not cut, you know, in the same way that, you know, Steely Dan's Asia was cut. So, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, you're dealing, you're dealing with uh, the vagaries of random studios and yeah, it's, it's there are a lot of, different I mean, ways. I'm into it, you know, I wish I had an all tube amplifier. I, you know, I, I can't afford that Macintosh and would I appreciate it? that much more i don't know but on the other hand it's great to take especially i like to take the record out put the needle in the groove crank it up and uh and and have some fun with it and that's uh you know basically it well i'm crazy So crazy like a fox is on that last disc, which you call also Duggets, and it's right. instead of and instead of being in you know one of these gatefold you know beautiful art packages, it's just sort of like a separate. It's almost like the bootleg extra bonus disc. It's the bonus disc. Did you go into it thinking, okay, these are going to be the the even more 
obscure ones or boundary pushing ones, or was it just basically a chance to say, look, we need, we need another disc of stuff. I can't fit it all. On I, I think, one. you know, it's more, we need a new uh, disc, but I have to say some of them on there. Um, you know, when I first made up the nuggets list, when Jack Holzman uh, gave me the keys to the kingdom, I put a lot of songs on there that probably didn't fit too well with the concept of nuggets as it developed. Um, uh, the best example would be uh, going back to Miami by Wayne Cochran. You know, that's not a nuggets, but it's an awesome, awesome song. Um, Pearls Before Swine, Drop Out, West Coast Pop Art Experimental. These were some of my favorite records, uh, and some of which I didn't have room for on the original nuggets, and some I suddenly had a whole new disc in which to add some of these great, you know, also Duggets. So, uh, so I did, including Link Cromwell's Crazy Like a Fox, which, there you, go. you know, has now come out in about four or five different versions, you know, the Orc Records and Norton put it out. And, you know, it just keeps on living this crazy record I made when I was uh, 18 years old, courtesy of my uncle, who was a kind of journeyman songwriter. Uh, he heard... Eve of Destruction on the radio. It was a big hit in early 65. And so he called up his nephew, uh, who was in a band at the time, and said, can you sing me Eve of Destruction over the phone? Which I did. And he said, well, come on in. We've written a folk protest song for you. Crazy like a fox. They call me neurotic and say I'm psychotic because I let my hair grow long, etc., etc." Um and so I went in. I'd never been in a recording studio before. Uh, sang it a few times uh, with session musicians at a kind of demo-ish studio uh, on the east side of uh, Times Square. And uh, it came out in March of 66. Uh, not a hit. Did get a newcomer pick of the week from Cashbox. But, you know, in a certain way, I'm, I'm lucky because if it would have been a big hit, I, my life would have been very different. You know, I would have, you know, had a hit and then I would have had a rapid descent, drug addiction, discovering Jesus in the early 70s, evangelizing, and then been on PBS's great folk protest singers of the 1960s, instead of having this afterlife, which I have to say amuses me more. But it's a great song. Uh, he wrote it with Richie Adams, uh, who is the lead singer of the Fireflies, You Were Mine, and also wrote uh, Tossin' and Turnin'. And uh, yeah, it gave me a sense of myself as a musician. It gave me a sense of credibility and belief in who I might be. And even though I didn't necessarily pursue it after I got out of school. Uh, I, I moved more toward the writing end of it. Um, I mean, I tried to get bands together, but nothing really happened. And then, of course, Patty came along and, and changed my life forever. So, uh, you know, I'm still because, you know, while they're living on the inside, I'm having fun on the outside and I still am. How much songwriting were you trying to do around then and, and you know, beyond? We yeah, wrote you know, about one or two stuff. really terrible songs. Got to say, I mean, I would always try to write a song, but and never really uh, got it together to do that. You didn't see so, yourself as a songwriter. 
No, no. I mean, I've since learned how to be a songwriter, which is a great thing. And I realize, uh, you know, and also I've kind of upped my game of what I require from a song. But, um, you know, I mean, I didn't even think of myself as a guitar player much. And when I started with Patty, I'm pretty primitive. Um, but and you're you, obviously uh, composing what you're playing on the guitar. So, you yeah. know, I mean, you're, I mean, you're a writer and you're, you know, composing what you do. So it's just it's a part of us, how you define yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, I became a record producer and then I really started understanding the nuts and bolts of how a record is made and what you need to do to make it exciting and ear appealing so that in those first 30 or 40 seconds that a record has to make a, an impression on you that it draws you in uh in some way shape or form um you know it's it's all part of the learning process and i you know i've been a little haphazard like i said if i knew i was going to be playing 50 55 years in the future i, I would have trained myself better you know, I would have practiced more and understood what a mode is <laughs> and, you know, and what the mixolydian is. But, you know, I've just kind of learned by ear. And if if I'm not a virtuoso, at least I know how to play what I want to play. And I, I feel like this knowledge has made me a guitar player who sounds like me. I don't sound right. like anybody else. I can't yeah. really, but I have, which is what you want in, in music. This is I mean, what you want. I mean, again, you know, there's, I, I played, I did a nugget show, uh, April 1st down in Bethlehem with uh, a crack band, a guy named Craig Thatcher who works for Martin and does like great Jimi Hendrix shows and Eric Clapton. Fantastic. And his band, uh, keyboard, drums, and bass, they learned like 20 nugget songs perfectly. I don't even know them perfectly. You know, we're coming in at night nighttime and it, no, it only does that dun 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 once. I said, Oh, okay. You know, so I'm kind of trying to keep up with these guys. You know, the drummer played seven and seven is without breaking a sweat. Wow. Okay. Insane. And you know, and it kind of made me bring my game up, but then I realized I'm, I'm not going to be able to play up to these guys scales, but I'll do what I do, which is lead the band, know how to sing, know how to keep an audience amused. And, uh, you know, it was a great show. I had to learn 16 songs and, uh, it was a, it was a good challenge and it was fun, but yeah, um, I'm, 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 I'm who I am. That's, in the same way that I am as a writer. And in a weird way, I, I like that. You know, I, I've, you know, I, I, it's a little been haphazard. And there's a lot of times when I wish I would have learned certain things on the guitar instead of having to work them out for 15 minutes, just think, oh, yeah, there's the A flight minor, seventh diminished to the 12th chord. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you, you do what you do. And I, like I said, I feel blessed to, you know, that life has given me a certain sense of purpose in terms of what I've done. And it's, and it's communicated to the world. I mean, that darn nuggets album, gotta say, I, 
I never expected to be yakking about it all in the future. You know, wow. I mean, yeah. it's still it's still ongoing. It still has a heartbeat, which is beautiful for any music because a lot, you know, I'm not sure that people listen to Dixieland jazz that much these days or, you know, this sounds a lot better than Al Jolson sounded in 1972. <laughs> That's true. Oh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's an amazing Testament. And I, I don't, I wish just had the chance to do it. I had the pick of the litter, as I like to say, uh, but I didn't invent this music. I was a participant, very minor in it, in my band in New Jersey, but I didn't invent this music. I just liked listening to it. And I really wanted my favorite records to keep on living. And I think that's, that's one of the beauties about Nuggets is that, you know, we can talk about Dirty Water or I had too much to dream last night or 96 tears. And they're still alive in the consciousness. That's uh, that. That's a beautiful tribute, and I'm glad I've had a been able to play a part in it. Whatever, whatever I did to make it happen. When you came in to work on this box set, did you have to sort of look at what was in those other box sets that had come out in between? Because there was the the Nuggets four disc box set that, that Rhino put out. Then there was the Nuggets 2, which was the British Empire and beyond. Then there was the Children of Nuggets, which obviously is a different <laughs> time frame. There was the San Francisco Nuggets box. There was the LA Nuggets box. There was the Hallucinations and Come to the Sunshine. <laughs> and then this other one, Transparent Days, which is sort of West Coast Nuggets, not to be confused with the San Francisco and the LA Nuggets. Did you did did they say okay you you could use some of these but not you know but maybe don't use try to do stuff that wasn't on some of these or was that a reference no. point at all? No, Lord love Lord love Rhino Patrick Milligan, man they just you know Rhino was founded by two Nuggets fans Richard Foose and Harold Bronson they wanted a label that was like Nuggets. Um, Nobody told me anything. I mean, nobody really ever tells me anything. I know most of all the stuff on the other ones, but I hadn't really, you know, I had my original nuggets list. I actually found a box in this mess of a house that had a lot of, you know, stuff that they put in the booklet, you know, the index cards. Right. I laid out on the wall of my apartment uh, on West End Avenue when I initially segued it. Um, you know, uh, scraps of paper that I wrote, uh, you know, oh, this is might be a good song and threw it in the box. Uh, the original manuscript of my Nuggets notes, which were amazing uh, in those days when you didn't have word processing. So you had to type it out and then revise it and then retype it. Uh, but I had the original wish list of what I'd hope Nuggets to. And over the years, I've seen you know, so many collections back from the grave, pebbles, boulders, um, English ones, every, you know, it's not, it's not a field that is unknown. In fact, the listening experience of some of them has changed so much. What was kind of once kind of under the radar uh, 50 years ago is now all too familiar pieces of the canon. In fact, when I put together this volume two, I took out some of the ones that were 
just too well known. I left some because I think they tell the story, but I, I, I took out a couple, but I mostly work from my original wish list because, I mean, the Rhino box set, uh, the four CD, it had songs that I thought were okay, but didn't really float my boat. I just kind of put together the same way I did the original one, the ones I wanted, uh, subject, of course, to the vagaries of licensing, because now there's like four or five, as opposed to multi-labels, most of it's in the purview of uh, one, two, three, four major labels. So some of them only give you a few, and then you had to substitute a couple here. And, you know, it's pretty much the way the first Nuggets came out, where they said, well, we can get this, we can get Talk Talk. I always thought Talk Talk was on the first one. I thought, oh, yeah. Talk, talk, and liar, liar. That was a thing then. Right. But no, talk, talk is not on it, but it is on volume two now. There were there were songs like uh, I See the Light by the Five Americans that I couldn't get for volume one. So they were kind of passed along to what volume two would be. And then I just kind of like explored some of the stranger ones and just put really did it to myself. Nobody, Lord love them. Nobody ever tells me what to do. So I'll do anything I want, which is kind of fun. I believe that's one of the great aspects of, of finding someone who you trust. Jack Holzman, I know this record was not what he expected the original nuggets to be i mean he had a chance to sign all those bands for crying out loud um but no he uh he allowed it to happen in the same way that hilly crystal allowed cbgb to happen he didn't start saying oh well now we need certain of these groups and this group no as long as you played original music you could be on a stage and i and i believe that that kind of trust makes a great record um and so with volume two i just made up my list uh the forces at rhino uh went out and got what they could get um legally there were holes there were other ones i i, I filled in but pretty much everything that i wanted is on there including 96 tears which i couldn't believe <laughs> that it that it got there there was nothing in there that you, your white whale you still haven't landed where you wanted a certain song on there and still couldn't get it no no i mean i would have liked to have seen the paupers to uh represent the canadian uh, toronto scene i i couldn't get that for i forget what reason but no, pretty much I stand behind every track. The better known ones, which I know obsessive collectors will say, uh, what's Little Bit of Soul by Music Explosion on there? You know, that's so well known. Well, it's not 50 years ago when that was kind of under the under the radar. It wasn't that well known. Um, and then I tried to put things on there. North Atlantic Invasion Force, for instance, or Ch the Cherry Slush that were just like great songs that weren't hits and kind of deserve to be. And uh, I mean, this is, you could, I'm sure there will be a the lot cherry of slush was something I'd never heard. That was, and that was, that's a very fun one. And I'd never heard really of this great. cherry slush before. You know, I had that in my, you know, I think I got that around the time of the first nuggets coming out. And I thought, man, this is a great song. Uh, let's, you know, I wish it was on the record. I mean, I feel very, 
very satisfied with the track listening. I, I've listened to it. And again, it's it's made for listening. It's not meant for either obsessive collectors or or, you know, it's more for an introduction to what this music is. If you're an obsessive collector, you've heard all these and it's their various permutations. But listening to it as a whole, you get a picture of the music at a moment in time when it's undergoing rapid change and will finally become what I guess was known then, even though the definition has changed, progressive rock. Grateful Dead were certainly progressive rock. And they started out as a garage band. I mean, you hear, you know, the Warlocks and man, they are like, you know, they could be the Count Five or any of those other San Jose groups. Um, I, I just went for, you know, Big Brother and Holding Company. Personally, that's a great garage band before they added Janice to the mix. Um you know, these borders are blurry, but I just try to, you know, put together a record that's really fun to listen to. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's not as revolutionary as it appeared back in 1972 or three, but we have 50 years of hindsight to bring to that music. Um, again, you know, listen to original nuggets some of those records were four years old five years old right that's like you know picking up records from 2018 and doing something today when rhino did that four disc box set of you know nuggets and it was like you know your record you know the double album was the first disc and then there were three other discs did they approach you about getting involved and if not was that annoying no no i mean <laughs> To be honest, I've seen so many Nuggetsies, you know, they did, there was a eight volumes, some kind of Nuggets that had some songs that had nothing to do with Nuggets. But Gary Stewart was very respectful to me. Um, he had my initial wish list. He wanted to expand it in many ways uh, um, and did so pretty much with a, with a, a sense of honor. He loved nuggets uh he also didn't want me like monkeying around with rhino's concept and i didn't want to because to be honest i've understood garage rock i understood it 25 years ago i understand it more now um it's not something i get up in the morning and listen to i'm more into the back reaches of uh country music and 70s reggae and uh I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever uh, my my mood swing of the moment is, uh, uh, Charlie Parker. Um, so, you know, I, I gave them my blessing. They treated the album with respect. The, the fact that they got Abe Gervin to do subsequent covers. Right. So that, I mean, you know, and I think Abe Gervin's <laughs> volume one cover is like about as great as can be in terms of the the sense of the music pouring out at you from the uh, essentially the AM radio, um, so yeah, they they did it with honor. They made sure that uh, I felt loved, and uh, I didn't you know. And if there was a couple of songs that I really wanted on it, they went to bat for that. But in the end, I like when people pick up 
you know, it's like uh, one of those relay races. They picked up the torch and carried it further toward the uh, the Olympic lighting. And um, now I feel like Rhino has done that thing. Uh, you know, I'm able to discuss how Nuggets came about. You know, 25 years ago, it was still coming about. But now it's getting really historical. I mean, it's nice for me to remember what it's like. I'll be loving to do the tribute shows. Uh, there's one May 19th in Glendale um, at the Alex Theater uh, run by Wild Honey, those uh, great band, crack band who does like Beach Boys tributes and stuff. Mm. Benefit for autism. Uh, I think the last weekend in July at the City Winery, me and a couple of the guys from Patty's group and uh, someone else, we're going to have a two-day nugget celebration playing all the hits you know but for me to be honest i've understood garage rock i've lived it i'm more interested in what i do tomorrow than what i did yesterday i love it you know but you know uh, it's like that phrase of patty's progress is in the future it's keeping up with the present and to me that's that's pretty much what I do. I I don't get up in the morning and say, ah, nuggets, I can rest <laughs> on my laurels. No, I think, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to go over here to uh, the Pro Tools and try to finish a song? Or, or am I going to, you know, go down the record shop and, you know, look for something I've never heard before? Or am I just going to, you know, try to move things from one side of the basement? to the other side of the basement and discover, you know, wow, I haven't seen this for, you know, a long time. And I'm going to spend a day, you know, investigating whatever that might be. I mean, it's a wonderful world and there's so much to get lost in it. And that's, uh, that's my uh, goal <laughs> to keep getting lost and then found. Do you have anything coming up with Patty? Um, in August, we're going to be on the West coast. We're playing, uh, a free, a free something outside the golden gate bridge, uh, on August 15th, somewhere in there. Then we go up to Portland and Seattle and, uh, we were kind of a little truncated. That's where the pandemic stopped us up in Seattle. Mm. So, uh, we're going to play that show finally. Um, I, I love the Pacific Northwest. And then we're going to uh, open up the National at some uh, arenas, which will be interesting. Uh, I think New York and Toronto. You know, we've got some, got some stuff. Um, we, we are kind of dialing it a little bit back. Uh, travel has been a nightmare. Um, you know, I'm still waiting for my suitcase from Europe from last summer. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, and, uh, lost my favorite t-shirt. Yeah, it was so sad. Um, but what was your uh, favorite t-shirt? Uh, it's the Ghost Wolves from Austin, Texas. Uh, I loved it, but I told them about it, so they sent me uh, the most recent edition, so I can fly their flag uh, happily. Great, nice band. Um, you know, and uh, and also. My goal this year, since uh, once the Nuggets uh, celebrations are quieted down, is I've been working on music myself for years and years and years. I have half completed tracks from this place, this place. And my goal is 
uh, to actually complete them. I don't know if anybody will want to listen to them, but that's not why I do things. I really would like to have some artistic closure with these songs that I've procrastinated in over the you know, over the years. And, you know, who knows what happens to them? I don't I don't really understand the music business these days. Uh, there seems to be no real labels uh, and uh, how music gets disseminated, uh, especially streaming is kind of abstract for me. But, you know, I'll just keep uh, and, you know, and maybe there's another uh, piece of literary something in me. I, I love my book. Uh, I really feel like uh, I said what I wanted to about rock and roll and my place within it. And, you know, I, I that was a book full of rabbit holes. Yeah. But um, I, I do like to write. I find it very, very zen to be confronted with shaping a sentence. And so, uh, you know, perhaps I'll do more of it. Well, I hope to see you in Chicago again soon uh, or somewhere else. Uh, we, uh, hopefully uh, we will, because uh, we love Chicago. Uh, and it, it really loves, is, uh, loves you guys. Played some great shows there and hopefully we'll be there. Your relationship to music changes. You hear things differently. Uh, I mean, especially playing these Nugget shows. It's interesting for music that is supposed to be uh, three chords and you're off to the races. Some of it is a little tricky underneath where you find these sure. like buried hooks and the way this chords move and, you know, the drum patterns. It's it's a great music and it's alive. And again, it's somewhat inspirational because I don't know. It's like these are people, these are musicians who are finding their way, essentially trying to figure out who they might be and then having it. And whether it's one record or a lifetime, I believe that sense of self-expression is is one of our most human characteristics. And uh, I'm just happy to have been a part of it, essentially. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were, too. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you for your time and your allegiance to the concept of nuggets as you dig it. That's all for episode 81 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Lenny Kay for making and sharing so much great music over the years and for talking about it with such enthusiasm. Rhino pressed up 10,000 copies of the new Nuggets box for Record Store Day, and it's a cool package featuring Kay's illuminating liner notes and a separate booklet and poster. If you can't find it or don't want to spring for all five records, the original double LP Nuggets remains widely available and is a classic for a reason. Also, check out Kay's work with the Patti Smith Group. Start with horses and go forward from there and never miss them live. Listen also for Lenny on Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius XM. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Wake, who has too much to dream every night. I'm Mark Carroll. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter at Carol Popcast. And you can follow me as well at Mark Carroll at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Also visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, where you can find this podcast and enter your email address so you'll hear about upcoming episodes and events. Please share, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop conversation. Thanks.